Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Audience Podcast. My name is Krista Ritma, and I am your host. I am so excited for today's interview. I have the coolest guest on the podcast today. I have Amanda. Um, You might know her as 10,000 Buddhas. However, on social media and around the world, she paints murals of Buddhas. And it's so cool hearing her story about how it all began. I was totally transported. She's such a beautiful storyteller. I have had the opportunity to meet Amanda and Nick. Her husband is Nick, MC Yogi. They live in Point Reyes. They have a yoga studio together. They travel the world teaching yoga, leading workshops, leading retreats, just announced their first teacher training together. And they just have the most beautiful story, the most beautiful audience, and just such an authentic way of running their business and living their lives. And we dive into all of that on today's episode. It's such a calming episode. Amanda truly walks the talk. She's so peaceful, so trusting, so easy to listen to, and gives such beautiful advice for yoga teachers, yoga studio owners, yogis just starting out in their career for people that work with their spouse or with their partner and even if you don't she offers some really beautiful advice for reconnecting and syncing up with your partner each day so I ask her the tough questions about the yoga industry about um, how it's changed if it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing, um, all of that stuff we get into that we get into business um, but mostly it's just listening to her share is so beautiful. Um, I was really stressed out before I jumped on this call with her and then left the call totally um, feeling just calm and inspired to keep growing. So really, really appreciate Amanda. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Ten Thousand Buddhas by Amanda Giacomini is a worldwide, highly sought-after art project, including large-scale murals and fine art paintings, featured on National Geographic Channel, New York Magazine, Yoga Journal, Yoga International, Mantra Magazine, Origin Magazine, Marin Magazine, LA Yoga Mag, and Tricycle Magazine. Amanda has painted murals all over the world. She's a dedicated yogini with over 20 years of practice and 15 years of teaching. She teaches weekly classes at her yoga studio, which she co-founded in 2001 with MC Yogi Point Reyes Yoga in Point Reyes, California. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Krista. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a while, so we get to have a little catch-up, a public (laughs) (laughs) catch-up. Sounds good. Um, how are you? What's happening in your world? Where are you? Tell me, tell me I everything. I'm home in Point Reyes, California. I'm so happy to be home. Winter time is a time where we usually get to spend more time at home. It's kind of a slower touring season for my husband, and it's a really nice time for me to regroup and get back into a rhythm with life and um, catch up on things and do all my laundry. <laughs> pay all my bills and it just feels really good and grounding you guys travel a lot yeah the over the last 10 years it's just steadily become a bigger part of our life I feel like it's funny because you guys live the life of touring musicians slash touring yoga teachers and Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of you know the bigger teachers out there live the a similar life 
to touring musicians, um, just sort of like on the go all the time. I know you guys are leading retreats. It was a super big year. Um, congrats, by the way. You guys had an epic year. Um, you had – what retreats did you lead? I know I should know this. Did You did Sri Lanka? <laughs> I did, we did Sri Lanka, and um, I did a retreat for the first time by myself, a women's retreat in Morocco. And then uh, my husband and I co-led one in Panama. Oh, Panama. That was it. So fun. So totally epic year. Um, And obviously, if people do not um, know already, Amanda is married to Nick, also known as MC Yogi. Um, But you guys have been married for a very long time, which I actually recently found out um, when you announced your teacher training. Yeah, Um, we we met in our teacher training 20 years ago. So we've been together for 20 years. We've been married for about, well, I should know that, maybe yeah so you guys are both sort of living living the dream as a lot of people I think listening would think because um I work with a lot of people that sort of their goal is to do what you guys do so I want to talk about that more later so yes Amanda is married to Nick but this podcast is about Amanda (laughs) um and I'm fascinated with her and have had an opportunity to work closely with you and sort of learn more about you. And I would like everyone to know more about you. Um, So even though I know the story, I don't actually remember the details of the story. And I would like to talk about 10,000 Buddhas. Sure. I think if you are on Instagram or in the world of Instagram, you've seen one of Amanda's beautiful paintings um, or murals. And I have no idea actually how long you've been doing this. I know the original goal was to paint 10,000 Buddhas, which you must have exceeded by now. Mm -hmm. Can we talk more about where this came from and what it is? So um, years ago when when I was first studying yoga and and had just become a yoga teacher, um, well, actually my first trip to India was pre- my doing yoga. I was 19 when I first went to India. And so there may have been a seed even in that first trip that led to all of this unfolding. Because I, when I came back from that trip, I actually, well, well, to be honest, the first thing that happened is I got really sick. (laughs) And getting really sick and having a health crisis is what led me to yoga once I came back from India. And Mm. Then I, you know, yoga became my source of healing. It became my life raft. Um, I became a very devoted student. I was practicing all the time. And after about six years of practicing, I was, uh, I had hit sort of a plateau where I didn't, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions. I, and I had kind of, I didn't feel as like I was engaged as much. And my teacher, mm-hmm. Larry Schultz, Said, suggested to me that I might want to take the teacher training. And at the time, I um, had no interest in, in becoming a yoga teacher. I'd worked in book publishing when I got out of school. I was working as a freelance graphic designer, which a lot of art student friends <laughs> were doing um, after school. And I was working with my sister doing a, a luxury dog hotel in Oakland. So, so that was my... <laughs> 
I just read that on your bio. It's so funny. I know. So that's kind of where I was. And and being a yoga teacher was not um, was not part of the vision. And but I did the training, and um, that really opened me up. And I I loved teaching because it was the first thing I'd ever done. And you know, of course, I hadn't been. I was only twenty five or something, so I hadn't been in the I hadn't been doing that many jobs at that point, but nothing, uh, nothing I had ever done before led people to hug me and thank me after a day's work, which is what happened when you often when you teach yoga. People are so grateful for the practice that, as being a conduit for that practice, you get like washed in gratitude regularly, and that was so awesome that I think I. I really started to be open to this idea of wanting to teach more and share more. Um, and what happened is I also met my husband in my teacher training, and we started to travel to India to study with our teacher's teacher, who was Batabi Joyce. And on those trips to India, we started to add on extra time because we were both artists. And India just was so rich with these sacred sites and pilgrimage places and and temples and, um, you know, incredible creations of cultural and historical significance and art and spirituality that just drew us to them. And, And one of those places that we went to visit in our trips that we were really going to study yoga was the Ajanta Caves. Now, Mm. the Ajanta Caves were a place of, um, they were Buddhist caves uh, built along the Silk Road um, from, I think the dates of the caves, something like 200 BC to 600 or 400 AD. It was like a period of six or 800 years that it took to build these caves. They are unbelievable. Like I literally, my mind just blew when I traveled Mm. there and saw them in person. They were 33 caves carved by hand out of the side of a cliff. The biggest cave could fit a thousand people. It was floor to ceiling, paintings, sculptures, giant Buddhas, narrative tales, celestial beings, enlightened animals. I mean, it was like, um, it was just unbelievable, like an, like an extraordinary ancient Disney world of <laughs> sensory and and awe and wonder and beauty it was just incredible um making me want to go to india so bad right now (laughs) and there there really is you know nothing that i've ever experienced like this place um so i became really fascinated with these caves and in in the first stage i was actually really drawn in by the animal paintings because um, they were so sweet and so they had this beautiful, serene quality to them. And over time, when I investigated more, I learned that these animal in, animal paintings in the caves were stories of the past lives of the Buddha when he was an enlightened animal. So wow. the animals were enlightened. And in the stories, the animals would demonstrate you know, divine patience and loyalty and generosity and kindness and compassion. And so the artists who made them really were 
where I think they really succeeded because I didn't even know the stories and I was responding to the the feeling I got from looking at them, which mm-hmm. is that these animals were holy beings. Um, so that's what really first drew me to the caves. But one of the paintings I saw when I when I went was a mural inside the caves that had a thousand little Buddhas sitting and meditating together. Now, this painting also kind of just went into my subconscious. And years later, after returning, it kept coming up and kept coming up. I think there, I've thought about it now a lot in, the, in retrospect, but one, the image was so interesting and very modern, the repeated pattern of all the little Buddhas sitting together. And I've learned since that um, our brains love to see pattern. It's very calming to our nervous system. It, it, it's like a biological thing that when we see repetition and, and pattern, it's very soothing to us. So mm. I think I like that part. It looked like it could have been done in the 20th century because it had this graphic element to it with the repetition. But also, I think the idea of sitting with a thousand people and meditating or practicing was something I was experiencing because the yoga community, which was quite small when I started, was growing and growing and growing. And I was continuing to have more and more experiences of gather these gatherings that were happening, conferences and um, where hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and or even right. thousands of yogis were getting together and practicing. So I was like having that experience in my own life of the power of the sangha, the power of practicing in community in like a big way. So that image of all these Buddhas sitting together kept coming and kept coming and kind of like knocking from the inside and my consciousness until finally I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll do, I'll thank you. (laughs) All right already. (laughs) All right already. I can't go back to India. It was so, you know, it was a long way. It's hard to get to the case, but I will just paint you. And we can be together here <laughs> and in this in this realm. And um, so I started to paint them. And I really was just doing it for myself um, to connect. And what happened is I was painting the first one I painted in oils, which is why I went to Berkeley and I studied art at Berkeley. And it was pretty much like, you know, like a fine art painter and oils. It was a very slow process. I would paint their little faces and then sand them and then do these thin, thin layers to build up the paint. And I would sand it back and build it up to get this quality of, you know, what I'd remembered in the caves of like the worn of overtime quality. And, and so I was taking my time and Actually, that first painting, it was, well, it was a big painting. It was eight feet by four feet, but it took me nine months to paint. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and what happened is I was just curious, like, why, why, do I, why am I so drawn to this image? And at the time, I had studied quite a lot of yoga and more from the, you know, the Hindu philosophy and the Hindu deities. And I didn't, I knew the basics about the Buddha, but I didn't know that much. So while I worked on that painting, I educated myself. I started listening to a lot of books on tape and lectures and 
from from different Buddhist traditions. I was an armchair Buddhist, so I I didn't have one teacher. I I kind of moved around through through the various traditions, um, trying to understand more about the teachings, and so it was this really rich experience of painting Buddhas and listening and learning wow. at the same time, and. I started to notice that every time I went to my studio and um, sat down with them, <laughs> I was just feeling better and better. I was having this experience of kind of lightheartedness and groundedness and peacefulness that was, it felt to be connected to me with this process of painting that is painting. So mm-hmm. when I was finished, I didn't want that experience to end. It was like a very, you know, I think before I always had a, I always loved painting and had like, uh, you know, something very fulfilling in my soul whenever I made art. But it was this, do, doing that first painting was very unique and the peacefulness of it. So that's when I got the idea that I'll just keep going and I think I'm just going to paint 10,000 Buddhas. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, and the first painting only had ninety nine. So the idea of painting you had a long ways to yeah. go. <laughs> but also, Krista, it was it was also inspired by like going to the caves and seeing something of such enormous scale that yeah. those artists, none of those artists, they all were part of a project that was way bigger than them. You know, it took a yeah. hundred years to yeah. make, so it was many generations. And I I really, there's something my soul was like really excited about a goal that seemed at the time bigger than me, big, like maybe even mm. impossible. Mm. That was, was cool. I was like, I just wanted to be on that journey and I didn't care if I finished. <laughs> it was just nice to have a well a big goal. That's what that's what comes through for me. Like so I I know you now and we've been um connected now for about a year actually. But before that, like it's so funny. I was just totally I I'm wondering if the listeners are going to feel the same thing that I'm feeling right now, but I've actually never heard you tell that story before. And I was literally just transported to India (laughs) and I've never been there. And the way that you just told it and the way that I felt before I met you, like reading or, um, you know, seeing the, your paintings for the first time, which was on social media, which is what I want to talk about in a second, like coming from the caves in India to social media. Um, it didn't lose that feeling for me. And I knew that there was this authenticity behind you. And I know that your audience feels the same way. And, you know, the 10,000 Buddhas, that's how I was introduced to you was as an artist. And then I came to learn that you've been teaching yoga for 20 years and, you know, all of this other stuff. But the the 10,000 Buddhas, that account, the image of that Buddha, the repetition, everything you're talking about totally jumped out to me. And it just is coming full circle for me right now, hearing you tell the story, because it's, you've managed to carry that feeling. Like when you said that the um, painters in the caves in India did something right because you felt something before you even heard the story of those animals, that's how I felt finding your painting for the first time. And it's so beautiful. And now it's such a 
like I feel like, well, if you've been to Point Reyes, you've seen the Buddhas. But I mean, if you've been to a Wanderlust, if you've been on Instagram, if you've been to Miami, I mean, you've seen these Buddhas. They're everywhere. And it's like such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing that you've done. And I think you know, it has become a business for you. You sell your pieces. It's definitely like turned into a business, but it wasn't the initial sort of why at all behind it. Mm. And for me, that's when I see as, you know, I always am thinking with my marketing brain and that's to me real, real success is when I, you know, I'm thinking of somebody else right now who I'm doing a launch with and she could care less if anybody ever buys this thing that she's creating or reading, it's just like meant to come through her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're like seeing this Buddha again and again and again, and finally you're like, okay, I'll paint it, you know, and now fast forward a decade, you know, p- thousands of people have your Buddhas hanging on their walls. And it's just like such a beautiful, authentic story of art. And I just appreciate it so much. So thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um But my question comes next is about this turning it into a career and also people finding these Buddhas through social media. Like what a weird and also amazing thing that you can sort of take this experience from a cave and like bring it to modern day, like 2020 Instagram. Mm -hmm. And what has that process sort of been like for you? I happen to know you're a little more private. Um, you know, you're not one of these people like selfieing their entire day, (laughs) for example. Um, Not that that's a bad thing. Yeah. What was interesting is that um, when I set out to paint 10,000, I started first doing them on canvases and kind of big canvases because, again, that's kind of I was trying to like recreate this feeling in the caves, which is a bigger mural. Um, but for the first few years, I just did oil paintings, but I did speed up my process because instead of hand painting each Buddha, I discovered that I could make stencils. I could borrow some street art techniques and use spray paint and stencils to recreate my line art, um, which was the slowest part of, of doing that first painting. And then I could really play with color and I could, um, and do all these layering effects, but I had these seven stencils with seven different Buddhas with different mudras that I um, used as like a template. And it was a few years into doing those paintings that um, I was in Miami during Art Basel weekend, and (laughs) I was doing an event at the Wynwood Walls, which is a street art museum. And that weekend, all of Miami was just full of street artists. Like the street was like a huge party, like boom boxes and painters everywhere. Like every wall was being painted on. And I'd never seen like anything like that. And it was this also sort of this fun, cool, like celebration of art. And people just painting in the city. And there was part of me that was like, ooh, I kind of want to be part of that. But I had never painted a mural. So um, my friend who lives in Miami, she was the one who got me my first wall. And actually, I tell this part of the story because I think it's maybe important. It was actually my husband who asked her to find me the wall because I was too shy. And I was too like... (laughs) 
I don't know how to paint a mural and I don't know if I want to get into that. And that seems kind of like a little bit intimidating. And he just said, Hey, can you find Amanda a wall? And like in 20 minutes, she had these, uh, she'd found me a hundred foot wall across the street from the museum. It's incredible. I was actually, it's so funny because I went there for my first time last week um, to the walls. Mm. I literally had never been to Miami before oh and God, I went I last saw, week. I and, there. and I was so blown away by these walls that I went twice. Yeah. <laughs> I like dragged museum, my, right? I dragged my friend to come back with me the next day. It's so amazing. And I think For me, I'm so blown away by art because I'm so far from being the artist. Like your story, like I almost had tears in my eyes listening to you tell it. And then, you know, hearing it come from the caves to, you know, this oil painting to this street art in Miami, which is the most celebratory. It's like a city that just celebrates art. It's so cool. And I'm, it's, it's so cool. And I was so moved by it last week because I don't know, you think Miami and it's like, I don't really, I didn't really think art, you know, now I do, but I didn't. And, um, anyway, the, the reason or the point of me asking that and saying that is just because, um, I don't have that. I I'm not an artist. And I think as people who aren't artists, like I see artists, I, and it's funny because, I'm so Nick in this story, you know, with a lot of my clients Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have a job if artists like the most profound, humble or talented people I know are the most humble, like to a fault, you know, it's like, they're not going to speak up. They're not going to sell themselves because they're true artists paint to paint. They create to create, they sing to sing. Like it's not about these, um, these, magical friends that push you <laughs> which I yeah. times. And um totally know, that, that so my first mural I ever did was in Miami during our Basel. Oh my foot, god. Twenty five foot tall, hundred foot long wall across the street from the biggest street art museum in the world. I jumped in at the deep end and again it was like this huge expansion, you know, when I decided to paint ten thousand that was a big expansion. I was like stepping into this big idea and painting murals in the street was me really stepping like way outside my comfort zone into this big world that I didn't know if what was going to happen or if I belonged or how I was going to even do something that big because I'd never done anything like that. So it was a huge moment that shifted um, things. And Again, I think it was just the going for it was like exhilarating and what happened. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and then how far after that did you start actually like charging for these paintings? Like at what point were you like, okay, I want to do this as like part of my career um, or part of my well, living? Well, before the mural, I had had a few shows where I sold hmm. paintings, but I had never done the murals. And so – um you know, that first mural, I had to fund myself. Like I had to pay for the material. I had to pay for the, the lift. I had to fly myself there. And like, I, you know, it was self-funded. Um, yeah. And at the end I had just really gotten on Instagram because you were asking about that. And I knew I didn't want to sign 
I never signed my paintings on the face of the painting. I always signed the back anyway, but I didn't want to sign my name because the, again, going back to the caves, those paintings were all by anonymous artists. So I signed it 10,000 Buddhas. And oh, my heart. And I didn't really know <laughs> what was going to happen. But when I got home from the trip, it was like, oh my God, like five times a day I was getting pinged by people who had found the walls and were posing with the Buddhas. And Krista, the coolest thing is that almost everybody was doing like a spontaneous meditation pose or yoga pose or even just namaste in front of them. Like somehow my worlds of being a yoga teacher and being an artist suddenly just collided. And like the art was getting people to practice. It was like drawing them in. Like there was something about all those Buddhas that made people want to get in there and practice with them that was just electric. And, you know, normally as an artist, I would paint alone and my studio is very isolating. Every two years, I would have like a gallery show for a month, maybe a hundred people would see my work. And now all of a sudden doing that first mural overnight, like changed everything. There was first the interaction of making live art on the street, which was really a trip in itself. But then afterwards through Instagram, I got to see people seeing and interacting and it, it was like totally changed everything. Um, and, and like, I love that. it was like a, a very like contagious joy <laughs> for me to see people, um, you know, very respectful and, and playful and, um, and practicing with them. Uh, it just made me, so that really lit my fire to do more and more walls. Um, a lot of the walls that. I did in the beginning, I just, I, I funded myself. And in fact, selling paintings became a way for me to fund doing more street art. Wow. So it was really, you know, my goal in initially with selling work was one, if I were going to paint 10,000 Buddhas, I would be buried. My house would be buried in Buddha paintings if people didn't right. take them off my hands. So um, there was that. And then it really gave me a, a way to, um, to, be able to do more street art. Man, I love that story so much, especially because I just, I really like hold on to the beauty that Instagram offers. And for me, especially for artists like Emery, you know, is a good friend of both of ours and her, pho her photography like wouldn't get seen, you know, if it wasn't for platforms like Instagram, specifically Instagram. And, you know, you hear so much shit basically about this platform. And it's how I found you. It's how I found most of my clients and most of my guests. I think it's how you and I found each other because you saw me in a post of Emery's mm -hmm. and, and it's like done so much for my business and for my life. And it's stories like this that like really bring it all together for me and why I do marketing and why I support artists. It's like you were able to take us to a cave and like keep it so authentic, like not signing your name, but signing it 10,000 Buddhas, you know, like because of the why behind there's so many people, like it's just so authentic to me. And this is like the point of this podcast and like my entire why is like basically supporting people like you. So hearing stories like this, it's just like, you know, 
a really good reminder for me that's like so heavily on the business side of artists and creating and, you know, getting the stuff out into the world. It's like, this is why I do that so that people can be transported to that little cave in India and like sit with the Buddhas and practice with them. And, and the fact that Instagram helped you leverage that and helped, um, you know, people meet you and see that it's just, it's just really powerful. So anyway, I love that story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I'm you. sure everybody's like Googling, Googling your name right now. So everybody can see your Buddhas, but. Well, the, the cool thing um, too is that the Ajanta Keys were on the Silk Road. They were a place for monks to go and gather during the rainy season. And they were, you know, being on the Silk Road, it's like this ancient, you know, trade route where knowledge and ideas as well as objects and art were being shared. And, um, and so I think there was something I felt like, I felt like they just (laughs) like being there somehow planted the seed and, and there was like a, um, it, like now to, to get them out onto the walls now and for people to share just feels like a continuation of, of that, yeah. of the energy of which they were created. I love that. And the other thing I think is so beautiful is where you said that your yoga and the painting sort of like collided um, because the biggest advice I've ever you know, had is like, find the two things you love most and combine them. And that's what you should do. Really? And for me, yeah. And for me, it's business and it's art and it's creation. And so that's why I market artists or I market healers. You know, it's, it's art and healing. Like, um, it's music, it's yoga, it's healing. Like to me, that's all art. And I'm not an artist, but I can see something that I know if a million people saw it, it would change their lives, you know? And so that's where like the business comes in. And I do love business. I love strategy. I love brainstorming. I love collaborating. I love deadlines. But then there's this other side of me that just is so drawn to the yoga, to the music, to the art, to the um, whatever it is that's like helping somebody mm-hmm. basically well, um, or transforming somebody. Yeah, and that's where marketing came in. And for you, it's like you are living that. You get to do teach yoga and you get to paint, but the Buddhas are really like the middle where those two things meet. Yeah. And it's great that you bring that up because I actually used to suffer more from a schism where I loved art and yoga, but they were very separate. In fact, I almost felt like they were mutually exclusive. Like um, Mm. there were as a time where I felt like if I really wanted to be a good yogi, I couldn't make and sell art. (laughs) Like that would be um, like, that was a something that was somehow selfish or narcissistic or, I, I don't know, something that was taking me away from the goal of yoga. And it was only through this project, how it found me and I found it, that it kind of healed that schism in my mind. And I and I felt like that my purpose as sharing yoga and my purpose of wanting to create could come together in a way that was beneficial. So, because uh, I used to really feel split 
I think that that is super common and it's something that I struggle with as well. And I've actually talked about on this podcast like so many times because I think on the spiritual path, you know, I've been going back to Nepal more and more. I'm going in a couple of weeks and, you know, sitting with the Babas in the Pashupatinath, the big Shiva temple there. Uh, you know, when you go to India or when you go to Nepal, the word yogi itself takes on a whole new meaning. Like the yogis there have like given up, you know, their lives and taken vows of poverty and have given up family and, you know, renounced their name and all their belongings and all this stuff. And so I, I struggle with that as well, like making money, creating whatever it is I'm doing and also being a good yogi. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until this past trip, because I always say like, you know, be all of the things, do all of the things, like that's the most authentic thing. But then I was still struggling with that. And on this past trip, and I've told this story on this podcast, so I'll keep it short, but one of the Babas told me um, that be where you are. So if you're creating, if you have a life in the States, like be in the States. If you want to be a monk, don't be a monk in the States, like go to India or go to Nepal and be a monk there. And so if you live where you are, it's okay to have a business and, you know, do hot yoga, you know, to music or whatever it is, like live there, be there as long as it's an integrity and you are of service. Mm -hmm. And it just was this, my shoulders dropped, mm -hmm. like my whole body sort of just dropped when he said that because I finally felt like I had permission to be good at business mm -hmm. and like have a successful business. And mm -hmm. he looked at me and he was like, it will not take away from your spiritual practice mm -hmm. as long as you stay in integrity and continue to be of service and share your wealth, of course. And it just what what being a yogi in the U.S. in the Western world in the 20th century, you know, it's different than what it means to be a yogi in the caves in India. And to me, you embody that. Um, and I'm I just think it's beautiful that you brought that up because it's definitely an ongoing theme throughout this podcast that for whatever reason continues to be brought up. And I think yeah. it's important to keep checking in with ourselves is, and keep looking at that. Yeah, and. Um it is important and, and yeah, we, we can, we can also lose that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you got to just be on the, be vigilant in some ways to, yes. the observer the integrity of, like the seed and let keep, for me, it's always been a process of discovery. I never had a master plan of any of this ever happening, um, it's a total surprise to me. So staying, um, humble or curious of like what it wants to be next and really checking in each step of the way has been important. I think that's so beautiful. Well, speaking of yoga, I actually wanted to switch gears for a moment yeah. because I work with a lot of yoga teachers and, you know, yoga retreat centers and just lots of yoga. Yoga is a billion dollar industry now, which is totally crazy. And yeah, I just, it's a lot to handle. And you have been, you were a yoga teacher before Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, and I think there's something so beautiful about you know, letting your practice evolve and letting the teaching evolve, but it has changed so much. 
Um, and you have been not only practicing yoga for 20 years, but also have had a yoga business for 15 years. You own a studio, you travel the world teaching yoga, leading retreats, classes, like it is a business. And my question for you is how has it changed since you started? Like what is the biggest difference that you see specifically on the business side, not in the yoga community, but in the way that yoga business is being run? Um, And do you think it's a good thing that more people are doing yoga now, even though it's sort of spread and morphed into different things? I just sort of want to know your take on the business side of yoga um, and how that sort of affected your business even over the last 20 years. Honestly, I feel a lot of compassion or empathy or uh, my heart goes out to people who are just starting their careers as yoga teachers because I think it feels like a lot more competitive um, than it was. I mean, there just weren't as many teachers when when I started teaching um, and we're just, I don't know, we've just been really blessed and protected in some ways from a lot of it. We live in a small town, and even though there's there's a community center where there are teachers who've been teaching yoga out here longer than we have, they were teaching at the community center. Um, we were the first ones to have a dedicated yoga studio, and and then and then we've actually opened in two thousand one, so we've been open nineteen years, and we have been able to sustain like a small town yoga studio and it's not easy to do no especially as our lives took us outside it was a real shift where we used to teach all the classes just the two of us wow every day seven days a week for maybe seven years um we were the only teachers and then we started to travel more and then slowly we had to make a transition like at first when we had subs, the attendance would just, the bottom would drop out, you know, we'd go from full class yeah. to empty classes. And, and that, so we had to slowly get our community used to, it's not just going to be us teaching and then give space for other local teachers to have classes. And then they, that started, started to work. And um, now we have seven teachers, but it's still so hmm. sweet. And small, like on Monday, all my teachers are coming over to my house for lunch and we do an annual spa day together. <laughs> it's so sweet. Um, I actually don't know what it's like to run a bigger, like a city studio that, you know, with the rents and just having a, um, so many teachers to manage, that seems like just, whoa. I don't know, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But have you noticed, like, I guess even in your home studio or now that you guys, I mean, kind of teach all over the world at Wonderlust and all this stuff, like, have you noticed a change in the practice? Like, I'm just curious. I actually don't know the answer because I've only been practicing. I got certified, I don't know, six years ago Mm -hmm. now and only found yoga a few years before that. And just seeing sort of how it's shifted so much in the last like couple of years, even like we've had yoga studios where, you know, it was mat to mat selling out five years ago. And now it's like gotten really competitive and just, you know, 
in in the student it's in the students have you seen a change or like i i mean i guess my question is like and it's something i grapple with is you know i i did ask one of the babas in nepal like how you feel about yoga in the west mm-hmm. And his answer was so beautiful. He said, I love Shiva and Shiva wanted everyone uh, to know yoga. And so if you even know one part of yoga, Shiva is happy and I am happy, you know? And it was just like so like simple and pure. And I'm just wondering, you know, as someone who's been in the industry and seen, you know, all the sides of it, how how you feel about like the rapid growth, really? I, I guess, you know, I read... Somewhere once there's like a, a teaching or scripture, I don't remember. And it, it said like just to have heard the word yoga in your lifetime is a huge blessing. Just to be exposed to the word because the word alone and like what it means has like the energy of transformation. So I'm kind of like on the side of your Bob. Like I, I think the growth is, is good because so many more people will – um, will wake up to their own, you know, spirit, their, their intelligence, their creativity, they'll, they'll, it's such a powerful, um, gateway of transformation. And I think even though there's going to be, um, sort of ways where it's diluted or, uh, you know, even, stuff that's maybe a little cringeworthy <laughs> like how, it's, yeah. how it's used or sold or what happens with it. I I have to believe that yoga is very powerful and has an intelligence into itself and that um it will it will all be for the overall benefit, even if there's some things that are or are not great about the expansion um along the way. It's kind of like progress and there there's going to be some messiness and but you've got to not contract and and then make it you know because for years yoga you know not that long ago yoga was not taught to women oh my god like 50 years ago so like do we really want to go back to that attitude of like it can only be brahmin men who learn it you know i don't think i don't think that's what yoga wants um or the spirit of, of it so i think um we uh, hope, I feel like the community is becoming more conscious, conscientious about what mm-hmm. it is and honoring and respecting it, which I think is really, really important. And I also think um, it, it's the the expansion of it is kind of miraculous, you know. I do too. To like I do too. And I think. And now I talk to like the UPS delivery guy and he's like, oh, yeah, I do yoga and it's not my back so much. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, like we were having this conversation 20 years ago. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful answer. And I think it gives, you know, it's inspiring to me and gives me a lot of hope that I, I look up to you as like, you know, not to say that other people aren't real yogis, but you really, I've been able to see how you work and see how you and Nick sort of flow in your business and it really is all encompassing yoga. I mean, I think even just hearing people talk here, having people hear you speak on this podcast, it's so calming. And it's like, you know, I want that coolly, really. Like it's so obvious that you are doing the work and have done the work and have this like peace and trust 
around your art, around your business, around yoga. And I think for somebody starting out, um, it offers a lot of hope. And for me, I think when anything is competitive, it's actually a good thing because it means people want it. (laughs) So, you know, if no one's doing what you're offering, you might want to reconsider that. So, And I think the main thing um, is like go go slow because – and be of service. Like always remember that teaching yoga is a service industry. We're there to support other people in their growth and in their, you know, um, spiritual growth as well as their physical healing and their – um, to, if you're serving and uh, that's your primary goal, then it's, it'll, it'll be guided toward the right thing about what your community needs and, and how to share it with them in the best way. I think when we get off course, it's like, I can't imagine being a young yoga teacher and feeling like before you even get to serve, you have to jump over all these hurdles of marketing and selling yourself. Mm-hmm. If, you know, we had our studio and like, Oh my God, Krista, for five years, I remember it five years, we had like eight people in the class finally. And I called home. I was like, Dick, there's eight people here. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> like it took that long to build trust. Totally. And to build a, a studentship. Uh, and um, I think it just, it's very personal people coming and the students that find you and you developing your voice, it it all just takes a lot of time. Um, I think that that's probably the best advice and it really resonates with me because I think a lot, like I'm definitely on the older side of millennial, but I think I am a millennial and we have this crazy mindset that everything needs to happen now and it needs to happen you know, fast. And if it's not happening now, it's not fast enough. And that's how I sort of felt. If your studio isn't booming within the first two years, you know? Yeah. Which is totally crazy. And I had somebody on my podcast this summer and she said that her business, she feels like it's a slow burn and it's never gone out. And if I can say that after 10 years of running a business, that would be way better than this like booming in two years and then going away. You know, I think... And I think especially as a yoga teacher, like starting slow is so important. And I always have found, because I used to teach um, like the business night at yoga teacher trainings, and I would always remind people intention is everything. And when you truly decide to be a yoga teacher, it means you're deciding to be of service. Mm -hmm. And if that intention is real, the doors will open. Mm -hmm. Like when you, something magical happens when you decide to be of service. And I found it as a yoga teacher, like I had a full-time yoga teaching job within two weeks when I decided to quit my job and all I wanted to do is teach yoga. And like, it is an effort and it is a grind, but if your heart is open to be of service, and I think this is true with any industry, it doesn't just have to be yoga, but yoga is definitely a more obvious way. Um, things work out. Yeah. Um, but it, the intention has to be right. It does. <laughs> and I think it's okay. My advice would be, you know, well, from my personal experience is when we opened our studio, we didn't put all the pressure for our studio to, to support us. It's a new baby. Mm-hmm. You don't expect a new baby to, you know, pay your mortgage. It's a brand new baby. So like we, <laughs> Nick and I each worked three other jobs for years until the studio grew up. You know, I worked as a graphic designer. I worked at the dog hotel. <laughs> like, um, he worked at a pizza parlor. He worked for his dad delivering hay. Like, 
we ta- we kept the studio because it was our joy to teach. And then eventually, over a long period of time, the studio began to flourish. And then the studio became what allowed us to grow as artists because then we built something financially stable, like a real business. But it took like, I don't know, eight years. And then slowly yeah. we, the, the yoga studio was able to support us doing the music and the art, you know? And, yeah. and so it was like a very gradual process. And I think it's really good. Like if you love teaching yoga, do it and maybe keep another job going at the same time that, you know, until that grows enough and then you can slowly release, you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. And that's really, I think also really important that to, you know, this idea that you No, and we're constantly told like we're seeing so much like quit your nine to five, like quit your day day job Mm -hmm. and follow your dreams. And I had someone on the podcast a few weeks ago I was talking to about her before we started recording and she has a huge podcast that now takes her all over the world and pays her bills and it's like her entire business. But she was saying that it's actually really irresponsible (laughs) to tell people to quit your job and just like start something new. And that's totally crazy. And she has a background in finance. And so she knew when she like started this podcast on her closet floor that she had to work these other two jobs. And they did that for like two, three years. And then they brought it down to two jobs. And now, you know, three years later, they get to travel the world and go on tour with the podcast. But it's actually like so many people are constantly like, if you're unhappy with your job, leave, da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, yes, chase your dreams. Yes, create a life of abundance, doing what you love and pour something you can pour your heart into like your art. But at the same time, <laughs> we still have to be responsible. And I think that that's good advice. Like things, things don't happen overnight. And I think Instagram too sometimes like can – make it look and feel like it happens overnight, you know, like so much work and like the story leading up to you painting that big mural in Miami, like you had been painting, it took you nine months to paint your first Buddha painting. And, and it just, and then, you know, the thing comes and everybody knows about you and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well they just blew up overnight. It's like, well, actually I've been working really hard for like 10 years. Yeah. And I think the pressure, if you put too much financial pressure whether it's your te- your yoga teaching or making art or whatever you do creatively, um, that's when you, I think, that's when you get feel the pressure and that's when you you might be tempted to do something inauthentic because out of stress, do you know what I mean? Out of like... 100%. It's so hard to be creative. Where you get into the stickiness or the pitfalls or the attachment to the outcome um, that is, you know, the big downfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I th- I always find it so hard to create when I'm in a space of fear or doubt and I have to like, you know, I it's totally different, but like my art is like me building landing pages from scratch and me editing uh videos and stuff like that and when I'm in a space of fear or doubt, I just like stare at a blank page. So I can't even imagine, you know, being pressured by your art or like, I have to turn out this painting or I have to do this thing in order to sustain myself. Um, it just wouldn't flow for me. And so I think that that's also a really important piece of growing a business like this is like, you can't put that financial pressure on if you want things to really 
flow. And it's so obvious to me looking at the span of your business and your career um, that that's how it's been for you. It's just, it flows. Like I know there's this partnership that you did and I got to watch you create it a couple months or six months ago and it just flowed and watching Mm -hmm. the way you do business is super inspiring to me. And I know people are inspired by you as an artist and as a teacher, as, as am I, but how you and Nick make business decisions, I've also been witness to. And that's, what's been really inspiring to me is just softening Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like really bringing that trust I have in everybody else into my own business. Um, you know, I have total trust in your business as a client or as somebody I work with, but then when it comes to my own, for some reason, the fear creeps in and the doubt creeps in. It's just so interesting. But I just think that this has been such a calming, uh, conversation and so inspiring. And every time I talk to you, I feel this way. And I do have one last question just out of total selfishness. I need to ask this. If you had to break it down to one piece of advice, you and Nick have worked together and been married for a very long time. And Clay and I are early on Mm -hmm. in our marriage and business partnership. And it seems like it comes very easy, uh, for you guys when you collaborate and work together? Do you have advice um, for business owners who are also partners traveling together, et cetera? Because it's becoming more common, I think, um, for couples to create. And I would love some advice (laughs) on how to keep the peace. We got this advice early on from two of our mentors, Sharon Gannon and David Life, who are the Jiva Jiva Bhuti Yoga founders who I, we just adore them. And, and we saw them traveling and teaching together. And we asked them that same question, like, do you have any advice for us? We're just starting to do this. And I remember David turned, we were driving, he turned around and he said, one of the best things you can do is that when you're in public, you always only respect each other. If you have um, a critique, if you didn't like the way they taught something, if you have like if you have any kind of issue, you wait till you're alone and you work that stuff out privately. And when you're together out in the world, you are a united team. And that was such good advice. I think that is such good advice. And I'm sitting here thinking about how we don't do that. Yeah, it's so and important. I- like your partner will be honored and respected. And then when you go home, you can totally hash it out and be like, I didn't like that. Or, oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> like, and we've, you know, that's, we, we didn't always, I'll admit, we didn't always listen 100%, you know, we made boo-boos on the way, um, doing that in, in, in public, but uh, we've, that was maybe the best piece of advice. I think the other thing, more personal, is that whenever I feel out of sync, it really always helps to practice together. Like, go to a class together, wake up and meditate together get in a rhythm because often we'll have busy days that take us in different, you know, we're on our computers, we're doing different things. I'm painting, he's working on a song. We've got to do this and that. We're kind of up in a a different world and it's really, really helpful to reconnect and just get back on the same page as to have like practice next to each other, meditate together. 15 minutes. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Even if you're not business partners, I just think, yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, 
Um, the last thing I want to announce, and I think that you've announced this, I mean, I know you've announced this, is you guys just announced your first teacher training mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. How is that going? <laughs> um, I'm so excited. We we waited 20 years. I think this is one of the yeah. things I had in my head, like, okay, and this is me feeling like not worthy or all of that you know, around teaching that it took me 20 years to say, okay, if I've been teaching for 20 years, I've probably learned enough that I could share something of use to someone else. So I waited 20 years to offer teacher training. And now we're offering it um, at our home studio in Point Reyes in 2020. Also, I'm a Virgo and I love numbers. So it was like 20 years teaching. It's 2020. It's October, which is 10. Um at the end of the training, we're going to have a big concert, MC Yogi concert in the barn is graduation party. Like, it's going to be so fun. I mean, it sounds so fun. So that's happening in 20, in September. Is that yeah, right? Uh, October, in the month of October. And um, October. We have already, like, I just gave our students the first reading assignment, which is to read the Bhagavad Gita. And they're just starting to send me, uh, just their first assignment was read the Gita just as a poem not a, a translation or commentary like don't try to understand it all read it and and share with us a couple of stanzas that resonated with you and why and that oh my god Krista, I like cried this morning I got someone one of the students um you know assignment back and I felt like this is such a success. If she gets nothing else out of the teacher training, she she understood this like one stanza of the Gita in such a beautiful way that I feel already like what a great blessing this is um, for me to be part of this journey for them. And so I'm really excited. Uh, I'm really excited. Oh, I love that so much. And there's just so much to look forward to with you guys. So if you if you want to find Amanda um, or learn more about any of this stuff, she's 10,000 Buddhas on Instagram and on your website. And 10,000 is like the number. So 10000buddhas.com. And then do you have any other like, I don't know, fun calls to action or things coming up that you want to share? Um, well, thanks to you. You want me to record my first online classes and I created a short yes. classes which because we talked about the Ajanta Kings and the enlightened animals, that was really the inspiration for these classes. So the six classes are me telling some of the Jataka tales, which are the stories of the past lives of the Buddha, and then doing like a short 20 minute yin sequence where it gives you time to like integrate the teachings. And, and um, I just created that. Uh, and you were, that was also really terrifying for me. And you really um, giving, giving me that assignment, like, it was so good for me. It was a big growth to be able to to do that. So Yes. <laughs> well, I just think anybody that gets to hear you and practice with you online is so lucky. So I'm so glad that that's available. And I'm so glad I was hoping you would mention that. So yeah, I mean, it's just been such a joy getting to know you and working with you. And I'm excited to see what comes next for you guys. And I just so appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. I'm just so grateful to know you. Oh, thanks, Krista. Likewise, so grateful for all your support. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you and Claire are working together. And I'm, I'm so happy that you're uh, supporting so many good, good artists and healers in the world to, um, to be successful. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a good partnership. Um, so anyway, for everybody listening, I'm so grateful as always to you for being here, for tuning in. Uh, this is a really special one. I'm sure you feel it. I felt it. I've like a whole new, I was totally flipping out before this episode. There's just like this broken link that I'm trying to launch. And anyway, these podcasts are always so healing for me and I hope they are for you too. So until next time, keep growing.